common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Thank you. You may be seated. Boldness has this amazing ability to almost speak for itself. You see someone speak, you hear them, you, you kind of catch something. My wife, she calls it tone. Have you heard that? Did you catch their tone? Their tone spoke. Um, I don't think we're just talking about that, but it's really interesting that if you look at how the text begins, that they noticed the boldness. That word is kind of what we're using as a, as a challenge this morning, as an encouragement this morning. Hmm. Taking courage in someone else's boldness. But we do that a lot. When someone says something that we really like and then they use a tone, it's really they said what we really like. And then when they show that boldness, it gives us a little bit of courage, doesn't it? Preach it! Isn't that what we say? Go get them. Um, or we uh, retweet. Thumbs up. We like it. We, we like not only what they said, I had was talking to a friend not that long ago, and he said, man, I, we, got this, we have a mutual friend, and he goes, some of the stuff he posts on Facebook, I wish I had that boldness. 
man, because he just doesn't seem to care what the fallout is going to be. What we were describing was a shared position, and then this guy felt free, felt open, felt confident in something that he was just going to share it no matter what. Maybe social media just does that. Maybe there's something more. Somebody says something we like, preach it. Somebody says something we don't like. Can you believe they said that? And not only that, can you believe that? Arrogance. Arrogance usually is confidence you don't agree with. Their tone. Um, Isn't it the same? This is why I think it's so fascinating to live in our time where these extremes on one side of the political aisle or one side of the social aisle and on the other side, I can't tell the difference. Now, hear me, like the words they use are completely different. But their tone, it's the same. People over here, like on on my side, that's well-respected confidence. Arrogance. Audacity. The audacity for them to say that. Fascinating. Anything of value acts like that. And the thing of value that we are looking at this morning is the gospel. That Jesus Christ took on flesh, dwelt among us, and died in our place for our sins, and then ascended and established by the sending of the Spirit. He established the kingdom of God that they might be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, that there might be a kingdom firmly rooted that will never be undone. That's the gospel. And the gospel, and I'm a gospel follower, I'm a gospel receiver. So I'm, I'm, I'm in the gospel and I look at the, the words. Let's just be neutral here. The words of Peter and John, I listen to their tone and it just, it emboldens me. It gives me courage. Peter says in last week's text, speaking about Jesus, and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name given to men under heaven by which we must be saved. And I go, man, I am so glad I know him. Like I'm so, I don't know how all that worked together, but I'm so grateful that somebody told me about him. And man, I'm just so grateful. And I I need to tell others about him. I need to tell others about how Jesus Christ is the only name under heaven by which we must be saved. And we learned last week that that the reason for that is because God alone saves and Jesus is God. So it makes kind of sense. It makes sense to me at least. Someone else hears that and goes, you are so arrogant. The audacity to believe that Jesus is the only way. Who do you think you are. Same statement. Same statement that I received and I walked away going, I need to talk like that. And other people going, can you believe he talked like that? It's almost like, and if it wasn't for that fact that the Bible speaks so clearly about this beforehand, it's almost like that when the word of God is spoken it divides. You comfortable with that? I won't say which side is which, by the way. Sheep and goats, you decide. 
Actually, it's probably more like wheat and tares, wheat and weeds, and it's kind of all mixed in and around. <laughs> Doesn't that make you feel a little bit better? Same word, same tone, confidence and arrogance. And so the disciples in our text are in the heat of it. They're in the middle of it. I like that they quote David. They go back and they say, and, and they're in their moment of prayer, which by the way, it's fascinating that they looked at the conflict that happened. When, when so many of us look at conflict, we usually go, hey, what did we do wrong? Did you know that people, I, I know lots of people that are like this. I heard somebody was upset. What do we do? We should just, I don't know. Let's start by panicking that somebody was upset. Then we'll try to run around. Then we'll apologize. We don't even know if we've done anything wrong yet, but let's start by apologizing. And then we'll promise to never do that again. Right? You know people that operate like this? Panic, run around, apologize, promise to never do it again. Yeah, but it was a good thing that we did. Oh, never really thought about that. But the disciples look at the opposition, and this is their response. We must be doing something right. Because David said, why do the Gentiles rage? Why do the nations rise up against the Lord's anointed? They, they look at the conflict that they are experiencing. You've got to be careful doing this. They look at the conflict that's happening them around them, and they go, I think we're on the right side of history. I think we're making some good choices here. And then they line it up even more. I find this fascinating. They, they begin to go back, and, and, and they say in our text, yeah, this is what Herod and Pontius Pilate, and then they talk about the sovereign will of God working all things together. They murdered Jesus, and therefore, since David describes that when this truth is spoken, some love and some hate, it's not that the truth is the problem. The Bible actually teaches that you and, and I are the problem, and that God is the solution, that you and I are not just we've made some mistakes in our lives, but like we need a complete redemption and restoration. And it is the truth about God, particularly the truth about God in Jesus Christ, that then separates sheep and goats and wheat and chaff, weeds and wheat. It's, it's that which then separates, and we go to our appropriate corners and we spend our lives grateful that there is salvation found in no one else for there is no other name given to men by which we must be saved and we've got a job to do I cannot believe those Christians think that way those narrow, I knew it narrow minded, bigoted exclusive did we hear the same message? yep wasn't a communication problem. This can't be fixed in a boardroom. I think we're saying it wrong. No, you're saying it right. Yeah, but there's opposition. That's how we know we're saying it right. My dad used to always say, I think he meant it in a different way. Um, anybody else just really love being popular? I loved being popular. I loved doing everything I could to fit in. I'd even do bad things to do that. And, and yet God, in his kindness, gave me a father, and he would just say to me all the time, Beware, son, when all people speak well of you. 
Like you need some good enemies. You need some people that are upset with you and angry with you to know that you're doing it right. And I, I really need like a word like that because I look at opposition, truly my gut, my op, I, I need texts like this to teach me that, um, isn't this a strange statement to make? Like maybe we don't have enough opposition in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Maybe we're not bold enough or confident enough. Another way that that word can be spoken, maybe we're not plain enough. Maybe we're not clear enough to speak boldly. What's interesting is that on things that we really, really care about, we're pretty bold and we're pretty clear. We don't go, go, well, whoever, whoever, you know, like you could pick the university of your choice, don't want to be exclusive about it. Um, but we really kind of believe in Oklahoma State University, so kind of maybe let's consider go Pokes-ish. That's a really bad cheer. What do we say? Go Pokes! The audacity. No, it's clear when you're a Pokes fan. It's clear when you're a fan. When you're a fan, it's clear. You don't see signs when elections are happening. You might want to possibly consider. I know that there are a lot of great options, but maybe you might want to consider when you look at all of the different um, uh, social and economic issues you might want to consider to vote for and then a name. No. Just the name. Boldly. Right there. Plain. Clear. Bold font. Right? Because we really care about that. And when we really care about things, we're bold. That's why I would tell you this morning, the question is not, are you bold? But what are you bold about? What are you confident in? Because I've never met anybody, and I've seen some pretty, what they would consider themselves to be um, humble and quiet and broken But boy, oh boy, I get them talking about themselves or about their lives, and they become really confident. They can begin to tell me why their problems are the way that they are. There's a boldness that rings in them, a confidence that rings in them. And this text says that Jesus, by the apostles, is now boldly spoken. The the word there, the idea of boldness actually, has mixed in it the concept of the, the spoken boldness. So it's not like this inner courage. It's not this quiet strength. It actually is a boldness, most often, to speak with clarity and plainness. Not mixing words. Plain, bold, confident, open. That's what this word means. So this morning what I want to do is looking at this text, I want to ask this question in the face of incredible opposition that they rejoice over, that they thank God for, that they look at that opposition and if, here's the crazy part, the opposition gives them boldness. Hmm. What is the source of boldness? Because if you read the Gospels, they don't look like the boldest 12 men in the world. What is the source of their boldness? Next, what does their boldness accomplish? I'm not saying, how do we use this as a tool? I just think it, I want you to be aware. I was shocked this this week as I was studying through it, just how 
powerful the Bible speaks about the effectiveness of the boldness with which we speak. What is the source of boldness? What does boldness accomplish? And then lastly, why pray for it? Why pray for it? First of all, what is the source of their boldness? Now, it should be of no surprise to you that the source of their boldness, and I've got three examples for this, their source of their boldness is Jesus' example. But not just his example in kind of like a generic way. It's the example of how he spoke about who he was. It's not, you know, they saw Jesus. This is, the words of the text are not, they saw Jesus who was a strong individual and they became bold. No, they saw Jesus boldly speaking and it looks like they became bold speakers. Like Jesus was like kind and compassionate and caring and bold and clear and open about who he was and what he was there to do. Mark chapter 8, we're going to be looking at a number of different places. Mark chapter 8, verse 32, um, one of the, one of the uh, most interesting times in Mark's gospel where Jesus says, hey, here's who I am and here's what's happening. I am, in fact, the Messiah. And they went, I knew it. That is so awesome. I can't wait until we take over this place. This is good. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 yeah, before you make plans, let me tell you what, because you guys have got some really crazy things that you believe about the Messiah. So I, I need to back it up a little bit. Let me tell you about the Messiah. The Messiah is actually going to be rejected by the nation. And, I mean, that's when the brakes screech. Okay, what? Yep. Rejected, spat upon, mocked, and killed. That's the Messiah. And they had no ability to figure that out. And yet, Mark chapter 8, verse 32 says, and he said, now I know the text there says plainly, it's the same word that is used three times in Acts chapter 4, boldly. So the plainness with which he spoke, there's something else that's happening with it. There is a, there is a strong confidence. There is a Maybe a shortness of words, but it's more of a, okay, Andrea, you're right. It's a tone. It's an openness. In the midst of opposition, Peter, never, Lord, to which Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That's that story. That's that context. And they saw Jesus speak like that. And by the way, just, hey, Peter, line up. You're not the first to oppose this amazing message. The source of their boldness is actually Jesus. John chapter 18, verse 20. John likes this, this word and this idea, and particularly coming from Jesus and his example. Jesus has been challenged. It's, it's amazing the number of times they say, will you be more clear as to who you are? And Jesus literally, I think, just scratches his head and goes, seriously? Like, this is such a game you're playing with me. So many people love to play games with Jesus. Or play games with God. Yeah, I think he's a good teacher, but I don't really think he's God. He never really claimed to be God. Hmm, interesting. They didn't make those accusations back then. They killed him because him, being a man, this is from the biblical text, claimed to be God. That's why we're killing you. So I know modern scholarship is confused by it. Jews of the first century understood it rather clearly, rather plainly, because Jesus spoke so boldly. 18 verse 20, Jesus answered them, I have spoken openly. Those two words really describe the, the, the boldness. I have spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together and I have said nothing in secret. What you can't say to Jesus is, man, you didn't want anybody to know about you. He never felt compelled to just 
splash it everywhere. But when you get him in social contexts, private contexts, when you get him in the synagogue or in the temple, he speaks openly, boldly, with great confidence as to who he is. And I guarantee you the disciples are remembering these things. John chapter 7, verse 26, something very similar happens. This is what's interesting is that the people are beginning to get, in John 7, kind of early in the story, they're getting confused because they're watching these religious leaders who they know hate Jesus, and Jesus is being rather open, confident, bold about what he's saying, and they're not doing anything, and the crowds are confused. Now, what the crowds don't know is that the religious leaders would love to oppose them, but because the crowds are interested, they're afraid. The religious leaders are afraid to oppose him publicly. John makes this very clear over and over again. And because of the popularity of Jesus, they were trying to find a way to kill him. But because the crowds loved him so, it was so hard to find. And listen to what the crowds say. John chapter 7, verse 26. They say, and here he is, speaking of Jesus, speaking openly, and yet they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that he is the Messiah or the Christ? See that? The people look at the confidence of Jesus, look at the silence of opposition, and wonder if the silence can be translated as acceptance. Now, there's something we all know. Silence can be translated or understood, rightly or wrongly, as acceptance. The example of Jesus. Another thing that we actually see is that the source of the disciples' boldness could actually be that Jesus' promises them. In 1 John, so this isn't John's gospel, but in his letter to the church at Ephesus, John is writing to Christians down the road. John's now gone through years of persecution and difficulties, and John actually reminds them that Jesus promised them, the disciples, that they would have a strength and a courage and a boldness from the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And that's a good reminder to have sometimes. The source, actually, is Jesus promised us we'd be bold. Jesus said we would be bold. Why are we shocked that we're bold? Jesus said we would be bold. And and notice in these next two examples the context in which we're bold. And now, little children, he says, 1 John 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, remain in him, be faithful to him, be obedient to him. That's what the text says. Abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence. See, Jesus said, like, when the day comes, as you remain in me... You and I will have a great relationship together. You and I will be on the same page. That when I come in splendor and when I come in judgment because of the faith that you have placed in me, you don't need to be afraid. Like I want you to hold on to this promise that the coming of Jesus in judgment may bring great fear to those who don't abide, who don't remain in him. But for those of us who remain, it produces confidence. And I believe that promise of one day when the judge comes That gave them confidence at that moment to stand up and speak in the temple. I I do. I try to live my days as best as I can, not just thinking about today and not just thinking about the possible opposition that might exist, but that one day I will see Jesus face to face. And John says, on that day when I see Jesus, there'll be confidence. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, sure, on that day, why wouldn't you be confident? (laughs) Like, that's the day we get proved right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I guess you didn't quite understand what I said. God is going to be here. Like time and space kind of rip, time and space kind of rip open. And the creator of the universe, 
appears. His name is Jesus, and he's going to come, and he knows everything about everyone, and he's going to come in judgment. So don't go, oh yeah, then it'll be easy. You will be overwhelmed. You will be, in some sense, reduced to a mere shell of who you are. And yet, you will be incredibly confident on that day. Why? Because when you see him, like hold your horses, when you see him coming on the horse, Anthony got the joke. When you see him, actually, let me rephrase that. Anthony appreciated the joke. Everybody got it. Anthony appreciated it. Here's bullet. Okay, so here's a, yeah, see, I get this. I, I distract myself, Drew. I distract myself. I am the problem. I am the problem. So when Jesus Christ comes back riding on the horse, it is that moment in which you and I might want to be terrified, and then it's that moment that we also feel like the true acceptance of God. And I think it's that that gives him the confidence to speak in the temple, knowing that when he comes back on the white horse, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, like everything will be fine then. If everything's gonna be fine then, everything will be fine now. Let me skip to the next one. So then what does this boldness accomplish? What does this boldness actually do? Okay, and, and by the way, not just in us, but in those around us. I, I, I think, A, we know this, but I wanna draw attention to this. When, when people see, and when I say people, I mean us, like anyone. When people see boldness, it's interesting like what they know. We've already said that it's this kind of dividing line. It's interesting, they don't just talk about the boldness, they recognize something about the boldness. In Acts chapter four, so in our text, Acts 4.13, where our text begins today, it's really interesting where they go. Now when they saw, the text says, the boldness, the confidence, the openness of speech, the clarity, when they saw all of that of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, because that's where a lot of us get our boldness. You know? Well, let me tell you, I'm just, uh, one of the reasons why I want to talk to you about this like this is because I'm smarter than you. Everybody's from England when they talk like they're smarter than us. There's, we're just smarter than you. Do you ever have that happen? Like you want to have a real conversation about Jesus and about who he is, and then they start asking like really big questions, and they start talking like this, and literally you're like, wow, I'm, I really don't know anything, so I'll just go over here and shut up. I'll just take a seat, because you're obviously smarter than me. You win. You, got, you know science. You win. I'll just go over here in my little religious pretend world and go back to talking about tooth fairies and uh, Easter bunnies. I don't know what to say. You win. Science. How many of you feel like you're in this chair? Dunce cap. They see these men. They're uneducated men. Which, by the way, doesn't mean they're dumb. It doesn't mean they're unintelligent. It means they haven't followed the regular course of education. It means like in the Jewish system, they would, they would see young men of promise and ability to understand Torah and understand the rabbinical traditions, and they would single out those that excelled at that. And then they would, and I don't mean this in a negative way, they would indoctrinate them with the way to understand Judaism and all of its teachings. I mean, that's what every system does. All education is some level of indoctrination. Think like this, work like this, right? That's just how education works, right? And they realized these guys didn't get it from the, from the rabbis. They didn't get it from the synagogues. 
It says they were common men, which doesn't mean they were commoners. doesn't mean that. It just means, again, that they had no formal training within the system. They were fishermen and tax collectors and zealots. Like, they, they didn't really belong to an order of, and they didn't have all the degrees on the wall. They, in essence, were kind of going through life. It's like God chose them. It wasn't a club. It wasn't a guild. It was God chose them. So don't think they were dumb and unintelligent. And, and, and by the way, can I just remind you, they were with Jesus for three years. And so they were taught. They were like indoctrinated. We hear that word like it's a terrible thing, but the ability right now in our basic matters class, we are working to help people understand and to think like the scriptures unapologetically. Right? That's what education is. And these ones had been with Jesus. What a joy, what a privilege, what a pleasure. And look at what it says. They see the boldness of John. They know that they're uneducated common men, and they're astonished. And they recognize that they had been with Jesus. And I don't know where they got this, but I know who they were with. I don't know where they had this boldness, and, and truly, you know what I'm talking about. It seems like the majority of us get our confidence, we get our assuredness by our own experiences, by our own training. Like, I've been taught to speak professionally about these things. When I was at the college, I taught a class called homiletics. That's a fancy word for preaching. From the Greek words, homilegeo, meaning to speak the same as. And so, um, I didn't teach preaching. I taught homiletics, right? And I basically, I taught homiletics. I basically, okay, this is how you make a good message. And this is how you have a good governing dominant thought. And here's how you break open a text. And you want to make sure that your points are progressive. And you want to make sure that there is some kind of a linear connection. And, and this is how you use illustrations. And here's how you bring them together. And here is how you, and I had all these things to try to teach the skills of homiletics. But the one thing I could never really do is give these young men like a confidence or a boldness. Now, don't get me wrong. I saw some guys stand up, and I've been that guy. And, and, and the, the boldness which with, they spoke, with, with which they spoke, that was just their personality. You know those guys? And I would say to them, hey, listen, I, just, I need you to be aware. Um, I thought you did great today. You didn't even use notes. Probably should have a couple of times, but you didn't even use notes. Everybody else is totally impressed because you seem to have this confidence. I don't think that's a confidence in the text. I don't think that's a confidence in even your relationship with Jesus. I just think you're quick on your feet. And I just, as one who, that, that, that's me. I just want you to be afraid because that's not what the church needs. See, sometimes people read boldness and they go, yeah, Jim's like that. Now, the boldness that we're talking about here, notice that the sources that I listed weren't personality. Not personality. This isn't like, yeah, this text is for Jim and all the other extroverts. It's not for Andrea and all those other introverts, although I saw a great shirt the other day that said, I don't hate you, I'm just an introvert. Like, we're not talking about introvert, extrovert. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about recognizing that they've been with Jesus. So for those of you that are kind of 
even feeling like an undue guilt about the lack of confidence because that's not really who I am. Um, No, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you're a child of Jesus and you've been remade in his image. And then you get to even be an introvert. You get to be like more quiet than not quiet. I don't care. I think that you can still be bold. I don't think extroverts have the market on that. And they don't go, and wow, they noticed the extroverted nature of these apostles that Jesus had brilliantly chosen. See, and the boldness comes like this. I had a Greek professor that loved to remind us of this. The boldness comes from Jesus. Think of the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard that it was said to you. That's what educated men talk like. You've heard that it was said to you by rabbi so-and-so and and by PhD so-and-so. You've heard that it was said. Take a look at my footnotes. They are many, and they're well-documented. Look at all my footnotes. And Jesus just goes, here, foot these notes. And he just pushes them all aside and goes, but I say unto you, the audacity, well, he's God, the clarity, right? Jesus speaks in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard that it was said, for those of you that just really like to follow educated people. But I say unto you. And that's how the disciples are talking. You've heard that it was said, but Jesus says. See, they notice, people notice that we've been with Jesus. That's what it is. Not introvert, extrovert, not passionate, not skilled, but been with Jesus. If you ever Look at the passion in me, and if you've ever thought, I wish I could speak like that, and what you are talking about is my personality, or what you're talking about is some broken, natural part that still needs to be redeemed by the grace and the Holy Spirit of God. If that's what impresses you, you don't get it. Or I have ever just spoken out of the overflow of Jim, anathema, meaning may it be cursed. I pray that you know, like I've been with Jesus. May that be a warning to those of you that are like me and an encouragement to those of you that are not like me. Next thing, people listen. And what do they listen to? The story of Jesus. Acts chapter 28, verse 31. What does boldness do? It creates a context for not only for people to notice that we've been with Jesus, but for people to kind of listen and then hear the story of Jesus. Acts chapter 28, verse 31. It's the last verse in the, in the book. Beginning in verse 30, it says Paul, by the way, who's in prison, and he doesn't go, okay, well, I'll sit over here and be sad and complain about, how, why did God, I just have a real hard time believing in God because he put me in prison, and that's just not fair. That's not how he operated. Why? Because he had a confidence and a boldness that wherever he is, he was all there. Look at the apostle Paul. So he lived there in, under house arrest for two whole years at his own expense, And he sat there and complained and wrote his congressman regularly that an injustice had been done and that things needed to change. Oh no, that's what I would have done. But here's what Paul does. At his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him, verse 31, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and confidence and clarity without any kind of hindrance. Yeah, but he was in jail. Yeah, but the message wasn't. Yeah, but he was restricted. I know, but the message wasn't. Paul had this understanding that do with me whatever you want. The message in the story of Jesus cannot be deterred. It cannot be stopped. Kill me, it will keep on going. Shut me up, 
someone else will stand up and speak. With all boldness and without any hindrance. I, I feel like I have nothing to say because of my past. And once someone knows, I've got nothing to say. So I'm just going to kind of sit over here in the company of the broken and just be silent. And I'll let other people speak for me. People who, okay, fine, I get it. I, 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 or maybe I don't get it. I don't know if I get it or if I don't get it. I'm telling you, the Apostle Paul knows of the brokenness, knows of living in the wake of an incredibly broken past, and he speaks with all boldness. In prison. You realize that? Well, you don't understand the circumstances that I'm in right now. They are just absolutely overwhelming. And, well, maybe those circumstances will become the context from which you can speak boldly without any hindrance. So often, oh, it's so interesting how I love to use like my past or my brokenness or my circumstances as an excuse to just be silent. Whereas in the book of Acts, it becomes a context to be bold, to tell the story. So then lastly, why pray for boldness? Why pray for boldness? That one's actually kind of easy. Why pray for boldness? Number one, because it's not a skill that can be learned, obviously, right? Like, it's not a skill that can be learned. It's, it's not a personality. So obviously, since it's not a skill that I can acquire, um, I, I can speak better. And there's nothing wrong with learning to speak better. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. I'm just telling you, they don't, like, in the human heart, like, where we're wrestling for people's souls, like, our skills and our ability to persuade is not going to cut it. So we pray. When we're reduced to admit, I got nothing except for God, except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I know that just sounds crazy, but I believe it and it's true. Whenever you're reduced to realize what you cannot do and what you do not have, you pray. Boldness is that. That's why different personalities can pray for it. That's why Jim, the extrovert, still needs to pray for it. And why Andrea, the introvert, still needs to pray for it. That is why the skilled still pray for it. That is why the unskilled still need to pray for it. That is why those who've been followers of Jesus Christ for their entire lives should pray for it. And that is why those who feel like, man, I'm just starting out of the gates, should pray for it. Acts chapter 4, verse 29. This is what happens in the midst of this opposition which they see as a, as, a, as a sign that they're doing the right thing. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They go to the Lord in prayer. Paul does this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19. Paul, when he says, I want you to pray for me, it's, you know, we're, we're in that, Andrew and I are in that season where we're dealing with um, her going, she's going to go home this week and try to uh, have one more conversation with her mom as we're trying to deal with her passing. Um, and again, like when I ask for you to pray for Andrea, pray for boldness. Pray that she would speak clearly and with openness of heart and mind, of, a boldness about the hope that we have in Christ, especially for those in our family who don't know who Jesus is. This is what Paul says in, Acts, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse, verses 18, 19, and 20. To that end, he says, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications, requests, supplications for all the saints and also for me that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth 
boldly to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Because these chains, because my circumstances make me want to be quiet. But may, may God, may his spirit grant me boldness. I would even say that one of the reasons why you and I don't have a lot of that confidence is because we don't pray for it. Well, here's good news. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 says this. And this is more in the context of Andrea needing the boldness to talk about Jesus than for God answering our prayer to heal her mother. 5.14, 1 John, and this is the confidence, this is the boldness that we have towards him, that if we ask in boldness before God anything according to his will, he hears us. See, there are a bunch of dads right now that just feel really awkward talking to their kids about Jesus. I'm not talking about evangelizing your neighborhood. I'm talking about just sharing the good news of Christ with your family. Yeah, but that's awkward. I don't know what to say. And I'm telling you, aggressive high school students or junior high students can be intimidating even to someone like me. And quiet, passive-aggressive junior high and high school students can be intimidating even to someone like me. By the way, I'm talking about my own children and me. I should have spent more time praying for confidence or boldness. Confidence or boldness, because God will give us what we ask. Last reason why I believe all of this works the way that it does is because God is just going to be faithful. He's faithful to his promise. He's faithful to our calling. Um, God is the source, and God himself is just faithful. Acts 4.31, the text ends like this. And when they had prayed in the place where they were gathered together, it was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. God is faithful. And therefore, we ask. So this morning, as we head into our communion time, I would like to do that by corporately praying together. I don't know what you heard this morning, but I pray you heard something along these lines. That the reality of who Jesus Christ is should be trusted and it should give you strength and courage. And, and you should, not because of your personality or the skills that you've had, you should um, pray to the Lord that he would give you boldness and you would speak boldly. And there are many of you, that's exactly what I meant and that's exactly what you should do. But I believe that there is also a side of us where we are so not even there yet. I'm just scared. I'm just overwhelmed. I don't know if it's circumstantial or what it is. And I'm going to tell you that for those of you that heard I need to be more bold, let's pray right now for boldness. And for those of you that are just not even there yet, then why don't we pray that you would intentionally find those who would help be bold with you maybe even for you for a while. That you might surround yourself with bold people so that you could become emboldened. Let's pray for those things. God, we thank you for what Jesus Christ has done for who he is. And Father, I pray that there really would be an opportunity for us to be bold with our speech and at the same time, Father, uh, for those of us that are not there, to, to find those who can speak boldly and to receive. So I thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to do that. 
So, Father, I pray that your words may fall, that your spirit may fall appropriately where needed. And that boldness might come from you. That confidence might come from you that the world might know that we are your followers and that you have sent us. Father, for those that need to be emboldened, may they take the time to surround themselves with other bold people not so that they can learn technique, but so that they can just hear the truth about Jesus boldly spoken over them. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So now as the servers come, I want to encourage you to take the bread and the cup and to hold it in your hands and to just think reflectively what it means to hold these signs of the covenant in your hand And in a moment, we'll take them together. If you are not the follower of Jesus Christ, then I want to encourage you to let the tray pass. To think about, to use this time to think about the plans and the purposes of God in Christ Jesus.